you mentioned in the past that you've built a uh, trading card games with your, your son. You use all AI to generate it. That's too sophisticated for us. We could use a little self-contained project where we are having to explore Dolly and we are having to use Claude and we're using all these other tools uh, to help reach a fun outcome together. It's part game-like, part education is something that we could do together. I'd love that. I've complained for a long time about how programming is taught even in these kind of simpler mediums like Scratch and how STEM is taught. I just wanted to like, mm -hmm. why isn't there a startup that teaches programming to kids that it approaches it more like liberal arts than math? Mm. Like nobody loves programming because they did paint by numbers exercises to build the game just the way the book told them to build the game. Let's get started. Uh, Let's do it. Uh, why don't you open this time? I always open. Yeah, the fans like that. <laughs> the fan. <laughs> the fan. <laughs> okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's Fraser. And Nabil. Welcome to Hallway Chat. Welcome to Hallway Chat. Why don't we start with a product that you've played around with this week? How's that sound? It sounds good. Have you explored anything? It's it slowed down a little bit, actually. We were talking in December and felt like there were going to be like a dozen new product launches and app launches to finish the year, right? And and it didn't turn out that way. It kind mm. of petered off right after we had that conversation in early December, which only makes me think that a bunch of guys and and women kind of kind of had a couple bugs, pushed off a couple things, and we're going to have a really good February. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be roaring. It's going to be roaring. The one I've probably used the most recently is a company called Wave AI. Um, <laughs> this is in the listening, uh, an audio recorder for the iPhone where you press record, you can ramble into it for a while and it turns those into <laughs> digestible notes, which I know I've talked about before. <laughs> um, you love these things. I know. It's my, look, it's my to-do software of 2023 and 2024. Mm. Uh, back when the App Store came out, I, I, you know, you'd rifle through new note-taking software and new to-do list software every quarter. And I feel like I'm in that phase. I've tried in this category you can obviously use chat gpt and just talk into it and then say turn these voice notes into a, a, a note mm -hmm. you can use there's you know audio pen voice pal oasis there's a bunch of these guys i i find that there's a variety of problems with each of them um, but specifically my issue is i want to be able to insert custom prompts so that i can get specific mm. responses back i want to be able to save those prompts it needs to be long form. Sometimes it's me and another person talking for 45 minutes to an hour. And many of these products cap out at 20 minutes because that's uh, for a variety of technical reasons is the, is the way they, is where they cap out. Um, right. And the last thing that Wave does that's really cool is you can actually have it drop it in a phone call and listen to a phone call as well and then take notes directly on the phone call. It's How the heck does that work? It dials, you, you have it dial into another number or you have it drop in. I see. Yeah. Um, I see. Interesting. And, and so it, you initiate the call from Wave. It calls and then you, has, you have it listen and it gives back. I think it's a one-man band. Uh, and so it maybe is part of this conversation about the future of software and what things are going to go on. And there, I, I admit, like, there are 20 of these things. I don't know if I'll still be using Wave in six months. Um, but there's literally no other product that does a good job of summarization, especially long-form summarization. And it allows me to ramble back and forth, which, you know, I'm not a structured thinker, but I'm talking for a long time. For me, this is usually a commute tool. It's like I have 
just gotten out of a wonderful meeting with you all. I'm driving home and I've got a bunch of thoughts that I want to try to talk through. And so I just talk for 20 or 30 minutes and just ramble for a little while on a subject. And then I want to make sense out of it later. And I'm still trying to find that. What does it do? That. Does it, so you, you, you talk, you talk for 20 minutes about your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably meander some are high level, some are in the weeds. What do you get back? So what I really don't want back is a transcript uh, because yeah, that's like, uh, you know, that's completely useless. To me. <laughs> it would be a nightmare. It will only remind me of how much wasted words there were as I was trying to figure out what I really meant. You and something does a good job of summarizing the concepts in a way that's not too simplified, that doesn't treat me like an idiot. And that usually takes some amount of prompt engineering that, quite frankly, I have to do, right? The service mm. has to be pretty good at chunking a long set of data mm-hmm. so that it doesn't run into the missing middle problem, but it also needs to allow me to kind of like iterate, iterate, iterate to get what I want out of it. It's still missing some basic things. Like two basic things it's really missing are, um, one, I can't have a set of saved prompts. So things I go back to over and over and over again. So for instance, like, Hmm. um, hey, this was a scientific topic mm-hmm. that I was talking about and I have a specific prompt that I've tuned for that. Or, hey, this is a, some thoughts about a company or a founder that I'm working with and I'm trying to just kind of think out loud through what to do with them. So I want a different prompt for how you summarize that, that, those subjects. It doesn't let me save those prompts. That's a problem. And then the second one, which kind of gets into how I've been thinking about software generally in, in this new age, is it's not great at import-export. And obviously the point of most of these things is I'm going to, Use this because it's a best of breed piece of software at a very narrow and specific thing. And then I want that software to be able to take this information and put it somewhere else. I want it to very quickly get it into Zapier, or I want to very quickly get it into Reflect, which is the current note-taking app that I use, or drop it in a Notion, or throw it into Slack, or wherever it's supposed to go to go do the other things. And it still feels very much on an island where you know I manually can copy and paste and share and that kind of thing. But it, it does feel like it should be it should feel like it's a good citizen with the other software that I'm using at this time period, and it hasn't quite integrated. And that's certainly been a nudge that I think every piece of software needs right now. If we're going to have a bunch of agents in AI doing a bunch of automated things, then they all need to be able to talk to each other. You know, you don't want to be the last piece of software stuck on the island that doesn't have any bridges to the rest of the things that a, that a user is using. Yeah, yeah. Not not to go down the hole on this conversation, but one of the interesting areas that we're starting to see some startups tinker around with is dating the infrastructure on the web for agents rather than humans. Um, and I thought that that's pretty compelling. Do, do you so one of my observations is that I have had to change the way that I interact with AI enabled products to get the most out of them. Like I, I can shift my workflow a little bit if I want to get some automation out of it. Do you find yourself having to change the way that you uh, are thinking aloud so that it fits the the uh, product experience that Wave and others give you in terms of synthesizing and making sense of your thoughts? Or do you just ramble? I, I need to be able to just ramble. And I know what you're talking about, Frazier. It's like most of the this new wave of early software, you can't just behave the normally way the normal way you do. It's not smart enough yet. And so you have to kind of be okay. Just like if you hire a new intern uh, and you're trying to teach them, you know, the first few months, you're you're probably losing 10% here and there in efficiency in order to gain another 40% in a different direction. You got to go check their work. You got to check right. on them. How are they doing? And, and most of this AI software that we're trying to integrate in our workflows and kind of 
basically live in the future means we're living in the future in a way that is like, you know, a little bit uh, bumpy along the way. And you st- it's still net positive on time, but it is not, uh, yeah. it is not without some behavior change. I'm not willing to do that for, hmm. for thinking out loud because the whole point is to be stream of conscious. If it, the whole point is to allow me to just talk for a little while and, and then, and if I'm suddenly having to change how I speak or change how I'm thinking, uh, I'm, I, it will, you know, it'll gum you up. You can't be in flow. And the whole point is to allow yourself to be in flow and then let the software do the work. So it doesn't mean I don't lose time. It's just the time is on engineering the prompts to be able to pull out from my rambling things that are right. coherent, not over summarized, but not over detailed, like at the right level of fidelity. Um, that's where I lose time. I, I, I'm not willing to change how I speak. I, I bet you you either have subtly started to change how you speak. How bold of me <laughs> to, to dictate that I think that you're changing how you speak, despite you saying otherwise. Uh, I bet you you are in in ways that you don't necessarily perceive or that you will. Um, and, and it will be things like you will reiterate the uh, importance of a point um, or you will come back and say, this is relevant. You'll give it hints. You'll say like, oh yeah, that's a great point for what I said uh, earlier uh, in this. And you would not do that if it was just you in the car. Because you have an AI companion helping you work through this, you're dropping these little hints or you will start. The one thing I think all of these transcription models, and I think about this in audio and video and all of the things that we're doing right now, is that we're very much, most of these models are still in a previous um Mm. world all of these models are still not taking in all of the signal that they have to figure out Mm -hmm. what's working like the whisper model Mm -hmm. is just doing transcription it's not picking up intonation it's not picking up the gaps right it's not doing any of that work and the truth is that i think we and and also by the way the output models are very similar right i was using 11 labs and hey jen and a bunch of the kind of voice tools over the weekend to test to see where they all are and kind of play with them all and there's very little control of the intonation of the output. I, I, there's no easy language for me to say, please say this sentence and be a little more surprised. We still haven't figured right. out the UX and UX for that. And on the input side, we have the same problem. If it's listening to my voice, it should be able to figure out when I'm like a little more excited and a little bit more into it. Mm-hmm. Or like I pause because mm-hmm. I'm really thinking through something and then I come out with something that's like slowly thought through, which might say that I've thought through that a little bit more. All the things that humans do, like we just, it feels to me like, and all the multimodal model development that I've seen, uh, the models that'll be coming out in 2024 pretty soon, all still feel like that too. Like they're taking some images, they're taking some audio, um, but it doesn't feel like we're at this point where we're anywhere near taking in all of the fidelity of data in video and audio mm-hmm. that we could mm-hmm. take in in order to get mm-hmm. real signal. Uh, yeah, um, yes. I, 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 am, I am now all of a sudden thinking about how <clears throat> we have adapted how we search, right? Like the, we go to Google and the search syntax that we use is like a very Googleese. I don't uh, ask it in natural language. I ask it in uh, punctuated words that I try to nudge the search engine in the right direction, which feels similar to what I do with AI-enabled products, where I have to change my structure a little bit to be able to get them to go where I want to go. Do you think this is just a short-term moment uh, or is it going to be like a search syntax experience? Like 20 years later, we're still now Googling with a very jilted set of terms because we tried to jolt the algorithm where we want it to go. You know, that's a good 
piece of pushback. If I'm a founder making software, the question is how much am I meeting my consumer exactly where they are with their very specific workflow that they work in right now? And how much am I asking them to behavior change or adapt to the way my software wants to work? Mm. I think you can ask for users to change as long as the payoff is great. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I think I think you can ask for users to change as long as the payoff is great. I think the one exception is <clears throat> what I call tools that rely on flow. So like mm-hmm. if you are mm-hmm. painting or drawing or or speaking thoughts out loud or playing a video game, th- there are tools that rely on flow. And in that situation, you are trying to construct the reality around keeping a user in flow. And that's very different mm-hmm. from the kind of like stop and start. I want to do a thing. I need to send a quick email. I need to click on this web page. You need to buy a purse. All of those sets of like the 90% of the things that we're doing in life. Um, I think it's, it's fine to ask for behavior change. But when you're in flow, you're in flow mm-hmm. and you don't want anything to mess with that flow. So this is a, a very natural point to branch into discussing the future of AI and software engineering because you, you have very particular interests and desires out of your um, voice recording note app <laughs> that I think, as you alluded to earlier, like we, we've seen this with task-based uh, to-do lists on mobile apps five, six years ago, when it's everybody had a their own personal preference. How do we think about the world uh, of software development given AI? Um, well, let's are start, we going we to have... the top of the stack and then move our way down? Yep. Right, let's, so let's start... Let's do it. Let's start from what does the to-do list app of the future feel like or the voice recorder app of the future feel like in the world of AI? And then you can move all the way down the stack to literally how do we code, which I know you've been thinking it. Let's do it. I'll start at the top. I think there's a prevailing opinion from like the VC crew, especially the cynical, jaded old VC crew, that the world of software is going away, a venture-backed software is going away because like everyone's just going to make their own little app and it's going to be great for cottage businesses, you know, that are selling things on the app store, but they're all going to be small. It's possible that that's true for categories, but let's just take a very just for the sake of like intellectually thinking it through in really specifics versus abstracts in the voice app software market, you could look at that market one way as a validation of that idea that look, there are 20 or 30 competitors. None of them are that different from each other. So it's great to build a small business, but maybe not a massive public company. And, um, And if that happens, that happens. Great. Not everything should be a venture-backed business. I think the founders should do what they need to do for their company, and that's right. But the other way of viewing it is if you have the best set of tools inside of a single voice-taking app, can you use AI to make that a much more modular piece of software, a much more liquid piece of software, where the thing that would have made me change from one piece of, say, note-taking software or to-do list software to another one, is that something that I could just now ask for or code in? right? Mm-hmm. Is, is the software mm-hmm. modular enough that I can just type in a natural language like, no, actually, I want, when I open up the front page, I want it to give me this first. And then, by the way, can you also add this new field that I can fill out for every single time that I add a to-do list? And that world of real modularity at the application level, I don't think people have been mm-hmm. experimenting with. You know, everybody Mm -hmm. thinks they want their own note-taking software or their own to-do list software. And maybe the answer is they all 
do get their own. Like, not that there's five winners right. or 10 winners, but that there's like literally a billion winners. And because there's a billion winners and everybody's unique piece of software does its own thing, that will aggregate to literally the one company that's building it. And so you end up with one mm -hmm. piece of note-taking software that everybody uses. It's just that the surface area looks different for everybody. I think that's very possible. Yeah, I, I, I can get my head around that. Like the fluidity of those pieces uh, uh, is pretty simple. Um, my guess is models today could handle the, the, the code behind the scenes to make that viable. I'm just thinking now about places where we have seen glimpses of this. We heard a lot of promise some number of years ago that uh, everybody's going to have an automatic website builder. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, we have seen certain verticals, at least in certain use cases where people have automatically built websites. But that doesn't mean that there's not, you know, beautiful uh, websites built outside of those tools. And then there's things like Shopify and others where you can have your online store. What's the insight there? It probably was commercially interesting enough to Shopify to take on all of the complexity pre-AI to allow anybody to have their own shop front. Yep. It didn't necessarily make sense for people to like hard code uh, all of the rules around different uh, to-do list functionality and features. But maybe uh, AI allows you to, to get that for free, so to speak. Yeah, I, I just don't presuppose. That's right. I think that's a very good metaphor. I don't presuppose that we are going to have, there's like, you could take every category of software that people use and you can imagine like three different outcomes uh, that would mean different pieces of AI software solve that problem in that world. Mm -hmm. And so you could take, mm -hmm. this is just for intellectual conversation, you could take the to-do list software and you could say, well, it's gonna get solved in <clears throat> the like WordPress format where it's like there's a million to-do list softwares because now it's super easy to build them and it's open source to build them and everyone just at the code level tweak what they want. And right. so there'll be a hundred yep. winners, none of them that that big. You could see it at the Shopify level where you get the to-do list app, no code app builder AI framework where everyone can build their own. Or you could get the almost like the Amazon.com version where there's a single user interface and everything aggregates in. I don't mm. think you're going to get the Amazon.com mm -hmm. version because everybody has bespoke needs. And if anything, AI is pushing into the idea that <clears throat> you get mass personalized. I could absolutely right. see the Shopify answer, though, that there's a singular company underneath lots of lots and lots of different players. Um, right. Interesting. So that, that's the top layer. What's the second layer in your hierarchy? How does like how does data move? You know, below the UI UX layer, how does data mm -hmm. how does data move around the the world uh, in the future? And I think we would call this, you know, the API layer, the data layer, the Zapier plus plus is what we've been talking about it internally as. Uh, you know, just above the code level, how are you thinking and working in in, in software? Um, Zapier is trying to do this, but I think we've come across a lot of different AI companies that are also trying to think this way. And in a way, the GPT store, as we talked about before, is is perfect as a natural language interface to APIs, um, or it is certainly trying to be. What do you think about that layer? I think it's really interesting. I think there's a lot of automation in jobs that can be handled with a little bit of sophistication layered on top of a Zapier-like uh, user interface. I do think that we're seeing a lot of interesting efforts push into this market. I, I think this is going to be great. Like, I, I think it's going to be a very promising uh, area for transformative 
businesses to be built as well as like obviously great end user value like think about how many but just to push back a little bit like but zapier is also already there already at scale and already plugged into a thousand more apis than the next guy and so why doesn't zapier just win Uh, i think uh i think that this new capability is so dramatically novel uh that you would build things around it and make decisions for the end user experience that would be dramatically different from decisions Zapier made a decade ago when they started. And you you end up with a combination of thousands of small product decisions because of that, that it's going to just have a very dramatically different end user experience. Uh, and people will find one resonates and solves their problem in a way that is graspable. And 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 it could be Zapier. I just think that turning that around uh, while navigating your existing user base is going to be exceptionally hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Zapier just announced like a big pricing change this week, probably with something like that in mind, although I don't know the backstory. Um, yeah. 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 Um, and then what do you think happens at the I lowest think that- levels? Like what at the actual coding levels, what do you think? Oh, well, you know, I think I'm writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I am most excited about this layer. And I think that many people uh, have drank the no code Kool-Aid in the sense that they think that AI is going to get away from software engineering. And I, I just can't imagine that's the case. Like, I think that you might be able to bring some uh, software writing automation to uh, to-do list app so that you have flexibility in an infinite number of directions for something like that. But I think most people don't fully appreciate the complexity of modern code bases. Uh, and to be able to do what you need to do uh, today, you need to have exceptionally capable engineers working their way through the code. I think that the best metaphor that I have come across or that I've come up with here is uh, treat AI as an entirely new capability. I've been telling people this for more than a year now that it is directionally the same as electricity in terms of a capability. Mm-hmm. And if we think about what electricity did for science and scientists, I think it's the the right metaphor to lean into. And let me just talk a little bit about that. Um, why not? Why don't you? Why do you use the science metaphor and not? I always like to try to use the, you know, as we get automation in software development, it's almost like, it's like building homes. You start out with you know, five guys in a GC and, and they're, they're trying to figure out the plumbing and put up the walls and so on and so forth. And you fast forward 50 years and, you know, nobody does that because it turns out most people want homes that are remarkably similar. And so you get the modular home building movement. They all mostly feel the same. Everybody still needs a toilet. Everybody still needs a fence. And we can stamp out homes at an industrial level, a larger level. And then every once in a while, there's like an amazing, beautiful somebody building the new Empire State Building, the crazy architectural feat of the age. But that's not every piece of software everybody builds. And it's not every piece of architecture everybody builds. What do you not like about that metaphor? The building one is a question of simple automation applied over and over and over again, combined with um, leverage from mechanization. You don't have eight people with shovels in your backyard digging. You have a, 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 a skeet steer or you have engines measured in horsepower because you used to have to have eight horses pulling the wagon, oh, so to speak. it feels like an industrial uh, metaphor. I, and this is not, the whole point is like, this isn't, no. this isn't, 
doing the same th- this isn't the same thing as doing the same thing faster for industrial output. That's right. Well, I, interestingly, I think there's elements of it that start with that, but I think the real promise is, is in opening up the cognitive and the creative uh, mind share so that these exceptionally capable people are able to spend much more of their time doing those things. And so uh, I liken it to the electrification of scientific tools is going to be the equivalent of the AI-ification of software engineering tools. And the first thing that happened was they took existing tools like the centrifuge. There used to be like wooden hand-cranked centrifuges <laughs> that scientists would like sit around and turn manually. And it makes sense that you should electrify that, right? And you can get, you can uh, free people up from the monotonous routine manual work um, within a lab. And you also get better results. My sense is that uh, co-pilot and other code completion tools that have taken away the writing of basic boilerplate and syntax can be thought of or should be thought of as the uh, electrification of the centrifuge, right? We have an existing tool, the IDE. We're taking away the the, the equivalent of turning this wooden cog yeah. and you, you get freed up. So it's October 2021. We're prepping, uh, or Copilot gets released. Mm-hmm. We've been working on it for some number of months. I ask uh, probably one of the most capable engineers that I've ever worked with, if he found it valuable and he scoffs, he goes, I, I find it so valuable. I would personally pay a thousand dollars a month for it to have it at my job. Yeah. And I said, what, what, what does that even mean? And he said, it frees up so much of my time to focus on higher value work that I'm far more productive and I find it far more rewarding that I would pay for that. That's that's the stage that we're at. We're at the electrification of the centrifuge. So you like the scientific you, instruments you th- because you, 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 it's, it's a bicycle of the mind metaphor. Versus an industrialization yeah, yeah, yeah. metaphor, it, it it will help you think right. more and faster. Not just do, uh, do not just produce faster. You can think faster. Yeah, it's not just think more faster, and it's not just you know spending more of your time on higher cognitive tasks. Uh, the electrification of these tools allowed for entirely new abilities for these capable minds, right? So after the centrifuge gets electrified, the electron microscope comes along, and it's not just making the microscope slightly better; mm-hmm. it's allowing them to reveal molecular structure, it's stuff that you couldn't do with the past tools. And some number of years later, you get the cyclotron, right? Is that uh, the electrification of a tool that didn't exist before that actually unearths entirely new scientific fields. And I think that we're walking down a path where we are going to have AI-enabled tools for engineers, software engineers, and we are going to have a, a revolution. Like software is eating the world. Some people are saying that AI is eating software. I think that's the the two layers above that we talked about, mm-hmm. where you can have a to-do list be malleable in any way that you want, or you can have Zapier++ that connects uh, all of your data across a bunch of different apps. Ooh, and actually, here's an interesting question. like How far do those push down uh, the spectrum, so to speak? I don't think they're going to go down the spectrum all the way to the most sophisticated, most valuable software that gets written. I think what we're going to see is that AI-enabled tools are going to allow software engineers to do things that were exceptionally scarce and rare over the past couple of decades, and we're just going to see more beautiful, wonderful things get built. And think if you're not having to do like bug squashing or like migrations and these people are freed up, they're not doing boilerplates and they have entirely new capabilities that you and I on this call can't even 
uh, envision right now, they're going to be able to orchestrate this technology and this capability into into ways that we can't imagine. But there's it's going to be beautiful. There's an interesting nudge there, though. If you want to use the science metaphor, and I'm trying to trying to draw some analogies here, it's not just about having more time to think. It's about a new cognitive capability. The electron microscope isn't just a faster way of doing the thing before. It's actually revealing new information. What is that? What is that analogy in software development? What What do we expect happen if those kinds of things happen? So that sounds that sounds more like the AI is writing software that you couldn't write yourself that is higher than your ability to write. I, that, that may be the case, right? I, I, I think the, the challenge is when you imagine being in the lab and you, somebody showed you the elect, uh, the electrified centrifuge, your mind would be blown, right? You and I would be like, holy cow, this is amazing. Yeah. We're not going to sit there for five minutes and say, hey, listen, if you pass electrons um, through an organism, we're going to be able to have an electron microscope. So let's get to work. I think we're at that phase, just really hard to understand all that's going to happen. We might have AI generating code that we hadn't even considered. Uh, the, I'm thinking of the AlphaGo move that no master over how many thousands of years had considered, and then it was creativity and it was beautiful. You know, I watched as the team trained GPT-4, and uh, somebody's going to write a book about it. It's going to be beautiful. And it felt, it felt, Nabil, it felt like I was sitting in the mid-1800s when they were building the Brooklyn Bridge, Mm -hmm. in the sense that people were inventing new software solutions to help them then go on and continue to train the model. And right. and the, these people are heroes, Greg, Michael, others. Uh, that was a pretty special team. Uh, you are going to see people empowered to be able to do, not train that type of model, but to do other miraculous software type projects and manage the complexity and the scope and the sophistication of them because they're no longer using... Listen, I, I think we're, we're at the moment where we've just moved away from uh, a wooden centrifuge. And I think that the next couple of decades w- at that moment in time would have been very hard to have, have seen how they'd all go. Um, and I think that that's a, a, an apt metaphor for where we are. And if you free up these, uh, these engineers, it's going to be amazing. I, I, the thing I really like about that lens, because it's not, it's not how I was thinking before. The, the way I had thought about software automation and AI was probably kind of closer to the replit view of the world, the no-code view of the world, which was like, mm. you know, I, I've been sitting my younger son down who doesn't do a lot of coding, and just instead of starting him with the proverbial how to, you know, Python for Dummies book or how to make games in Python book that I did for my older son years ago, I'm just sitting him down in replit and being like, just type, let's make a thing. And don't worry about it, it's wrong. Right. Uh, and didn't, you don't even know what this code means. Just copy and paste the code over. Right. And then when it produces a bug, just ask Replit or ChatGPT to help you fix the bug and just like work on building a very small piece of software. And so I have been thinking about it as kind of like the starting point for anybody to be able to make software. And what you're mm. talking about is a complete other end of the spectrum with the best software engine, engineers in the world discovering and inventing uh, new oh, methods yeah. sitting next to their AI partner, the same way that in AlphaGo you see new chess moves, yep. you see new moves that you've uh, in Go that you've never seen before. Yeah, and that's interesting. I think those are probably. I, I think the the way you architect. Huh, I think the really interesting thing that that makes me think about is that you know it's not just one 
AI coding tool, I mean, every layer of the no stack way. we just talked about is probably a very, yep. maybe even entirely different models, but certainly very different interfaces to say, what am I doing for a beginning programmer or a programmer that has an absolutely has never experienced programming before? And how am I getting them to flow quickly and letting them iterate quickly to build a piece of software? That's yep. wildly different from I'm one of the top 5% programmers in the world and I want a friend who is working on me with this software and is going to find novel new ways to do a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's both of those two things at the coding level are still wildly different from the other layers of the stack that we talked about and how you use coding to solve the Zapier plus plus or above that, you know, modular software development and the no code framework. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Like you can even imagine that the no code to-do list that has malleability for any end user's need or desire is actually going to be built by somebody who's using the tools that give them tremendous leverage to go and build that software. You know, I, I think it's just, it is impossible for me to ignore the most brilliant people that I know in, in engineering are echoing or, or parroting the same thing is that the gains that they have even today are so profound. My co-founder at my past startup I don't think I've ever heard him exaggerate, and he has impeccable taste in technology. Mm -hmm. He mentioned a product that he uses, I won't share it, that makes him two to four times more productive. Well, how, uh, how can you not you share this about, for, with, our, with, our, with our one or two <laughs> listeners? What, what, what are you doing, man? We're supposed to be hot, handing out hot tips. <laughs> All right. It, uh, it is Cursor. It is Cursor, right? It is uh, a existing tool, the IDE, that has leveraged uh, a new capability in a fairly um, obvious way. I don't mean that as a knock, yeah. right? Yeah. They've, they've electrified the centrifuge and it's making this guy two to four times more productive. And if you consider what that means, it is like rather profound. And then you talk to a research scientist at, uh, at Midjourney and he's using the tool to do in an hour what used to take him a day. Yeah. And, and, and it's, not, it's not like that guy. is not just a scrub. Yeah, for sure, right? And it's it's not it's not it's not like your son who's learning how to code because of the AI enabled coding tool is going to go and do what this person does is that uh, maybe maybe in time, right? As he learns and develops and and hones his craft and his skill, but this individual now has an entire day that they didn't have before to to focus on on the more rewarding parts where they're their intellect is scarce, right? Uh, rather than having to turn that centrifuge, yeah. if you will. That's right. That's right. So that's going to certainly keep happening over the course of this year. I, I think it's going to happen over the next decade. The cyclotron was some number of years after the centrifuge gets electrified. We have to discover these tools themselves and capabilities need to evolve. Yeah, this goes back to something that you keep reminding me of, which is that the short some of these things will feel slightly broken and we'll feel movement and we'll almost over index on how much innovation is going to happen in the next quarter and over the next decade we'll probably still under indexing on how much is going to change yeah yeah but but I think so but let's not talk about the next decade it's the beginning of 2024 and <laughs> and i i want to get to <laughs> uh we started we started chatting over the last week or two on what do we think is going to happen over this year? And I don't, I'm not a hot take person on, you know, let's make prognostications about what's going to happen in the world. So I, I would love instead to just pick one or two pieces of software in AI loosely that you kind of 
hope somebody takes a stab at and you hope exists over the course of this year. Okay. I'll, I'll start and then you go with one. I'm reticent to frame it like this because I've tried it before and people then can't help but be anchored in the mental model is I want to I want the concept of a to-do list rethought for a world where AI's capabilities are not where they are just today, but where they're going to be in six months, 12 months, 18 months. Uh, and what I mean by that is I, I think that that's the perfect place for uh, these agentic AI capabilities to come in, because what is a to-do list? It is uh, a reminder that you need to go and take an action of some sort. And more often than not, I'm thinking of personal to-do lists, mm -hmm. and more often than not, those those actions are a series of steps that actually have to be done in order to accomplish the outcome. Mm -hmm. I can imagine um, it's going to be tax season soon and I have a whole bunch of questions. There's no reason why I can't have a, th a to-do item that's the equivalent of like, hey, prep for taxes. Mm -hmm. uh, and it knows my unusual situation. I have to file in two countries, all of this other stuff where it can't go and pull in a bunch of information while I'm not present so that when I return to the, the product, it's three steps down that path so that I'm not starting from a blank slate. Yeah. Um, and then maybe I give it the next nudge in the next direction and I come back a couple of days later and it goes and gets it. So that's one for me. How about yourself? So one for me is every time there's a new way of communicating, there tends to be a new social network for communicating in that medium. And I'm thinking about... Mm. Long form video leading to YouTube and then very short form video leading to TikTok, text leading to Twitter. Um, and the modality of creativity that we see right now is AI art. And it's what I play with on a regular basis. I think that doesn't mean that I make a picture of a dog and I, and I put it up there. Mm. So mm -hmm. I've been trying to think about what would be the native storytelling medium that would lean into what Midjourney and Dolly and, and other companies are, are helping us make. And the best thing I can think of is comics, uh, which are a native storytelling meeting that involves a lot of images. And so I don't, I don't know what it would be, but mm -hmm. it would be very cool to see experiments in the direction of the thing I'm flipping through, the kind of modality of the way I'm flipping through the product looks like comic panels. And, and all of the inherent tools that go into making that not just that I spent five hours in mid-journey to make comics, which not enough people are going to do, but you could imagine it, imagine it as easy to do as opening up Instagram, having a camera and taking a photo and applying a filter, something that's as simple as that as a way mm -hmm. to communicate. And I imagine that will appeal to people in a very different way than, I don't know, um, doing dances on TikTok would appeal. I, I hope we see some experiments right. with what native AI storytelling is going to feel like. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. How about you? Um, you another one? <laughs> yeah, I have one more uh, and it's, it's fairly nebulous. So I don't even know how to come at it. Let me come at it from two different perspectives. First of all, I have kids um, and it is lovely to watch them discover technology. And so I, my, my eldest was doing some research yesterday and I saw her use uh, Google translate for the first time and Google search. She also um, has these monthly subscription boxes that come in that help her do kind of mechanical engineering, but for kids, STEM-like little projects. Right. We are living through this glorious moment, um, and I would love for them to have the equivalent of a, a Crunch Labs box, but rather than a mechanical engineering project that I get to help her with a little bit uh, on a monthly basis that there's these little projects that bring us into this, the software and the online realm that we get to build together. Um, you know, you, you mentioned in the past that you've you've built a 
uh, trading card game or a, yeah. a, I don't know what the category yeah. is with your, your son. You use all AI to generate it. That's too sophisticated for us. We could use a little self-contained project where we are having to explore Dolly and we are having to use Claude and we're using all these other tools uh, to help reach a fun outcome together. It's part game-like, part education is something that we could do together. I'd love that. Yeah, I, I have thought, I've complained for a long time about how programming is taught even in these kind of simpler mediums like Scratch and how STEM is taught. Um, mm. Because I, I just wanted to like, mm -hmm. why isn't there a startup that teaches programming to kids that it approaches it more like liberal arts than math? That's the metaphor I've used. Mm. Like nobody loves programming because they did paint by numbers exercises to build the game just the way the book told me to build the game. You want programming right, for kids right. that encourages your right brain as much as your left brain and allows the the thing that your child makes should be remarkably different from the thing that your neighbor makes using the exact uh -huh. same thing. And if you were both doing a creative writing task, the output would be wildly different because it's from you. And I think it takes way too long in STEM right. generally uh, and and certainly in programming to get to the place where people feel in flow to use it as expressive medium. And AI is a perfect example of being able to accelerate that curve and getting people to the fun of making faster. Right. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Oh, what do you have a last one for us? My last one is going to loop back to a conversation we had earlier. I really expect this year, and I hope we'll see stuff that takes the idea of an API framework like a Zapier plus plus, but punches through to the user input layer. So it, it, it's still, I can coalesce the sets of APIs that I want. So I can take my outputs from my notes from my wave AI and plug it into my notion docs and have it all flow into something, which is fine. But what I, I really think the next step is, is there's no user input in Zapier, right? These are automations. These are things that run in the background. And I'd love to see something that pierced up into the app layer where I can then say, let me mm. type in a couple of things. Let me do a couple of things. Let, me let that mm -hmm. feedback into the product. And I think that just enable a whole bunch of new behaviors that I'd love to play around with. And I hope and expect somebody will come up with. Love that. it. I mean, that, that you asked me the question earlier as to how a group who is building for a world of AI and connecting different tools would compete and differentiate, there's there's part of the answer, right? Is that you actually can puncture up into the UI layer and collect uh, direct feedback yeah, from the end user. I mean, let's, you know, the truth is that, as we all know, like founders are actually the ones that are gonna invent these things. And, and <laughs> as, they're, as, they're, as they're building, as you're building these things, they will find the five reasons we're wrong pontificating on our podcast. Uh, so, I mean, we've both been founders before. We know what it's like to walk the idea maze. So I'm, I'm sure these ideas will shift dramatically in the market. But, but some experiments in this direction just feel like they need to happen. And then mostly speaking of that, as a consumer of this software, like I, I want these things in my life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, I, I I get both of those. Is that we are not going to prescribe how things get solved, but it's I think it's also okay for us as end users to have wants and and desires, and oftentimes, as we know, end users don't know what they want. That's right. Hey, uh, but that's not always the case. Let's be done for today. It was great chatting with you, Fraser, and thanks everybody. If you have an AI app that you want us to take a look at, we'd love to. That's all we do. Uh, around here uh, while well, we do other things. But you know, I mean, one of the benefits, by the way, for me of this podcast with you, Frazier, is not only getting your, your wonderful thoughts every week, but it really puts pressure to keep using these products and thinking about how these products are changing every week and the patterns of mm. 
of software development and UI development and building and what we're learning from customers as, as this new field emerges. So thanks for hanging out with me and I'll see you next week. Yeah, see you. Take care.